Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. I am Kalen Wojcik, and I'm one of your hosts today, along with Mr. Phil Vallejo. And for those of you who are just joining the Modern Day Sniper Podcast for the first time, some background on what it is we are and who we are. And we are dedicated to discussing the most up-to-date and relative information that surrounds this lifestyle and the journey of the modern-day rifleman. So what that means is whether you're a military or law enforcement professional, a long-range shooting enthusiast, a hunter, or a precision rifle competitor, you're listening to this podcast because you're dedicated to the craft and just like us forever students on the endless journey of becoming the most well-rounded rifleman that you can be. So with that being said, Phil and I are um, going to dive into some mindfulness um, we had a really epic <laughs> technical podcast with Mr. Satterley last week. And um, thanks, guys, for all of the positive feedback we've gotten from that. It's fantastic. Uh, super thankful for Scott to be able to come on with us and talk about his reloading process. And I know I've changed some things up as well. What about you? Yeah, I think um, a lot of people forgot that I was a part of the podcast in that one. <laughs> Mainly because I was just soaking all the information. Again, you know, I, I haven't been reloading for too long, and uh, I don't I don't dabble as much um, in it as as Scott or, or you you have done. Um, I, I prefer those plug and play rounds. But no, it was all good stuff, and uh, definitely I, I see uh, Scott coming back on for probably another episode of. Uh, oh you know, yeah. There's probably a lot of unanswered questions that you probably got hit up on that that would just be great. I mean, that in itself probably follow on questions from that podcast will probably be, you know, good. So definitely appreciate Scott coming on. My inbox is already full of them. Right. So like I could send those to Scott for you guys and, and, and definitely have them back on again. Um, so big news with the podcast guys. Uh, I don't know if you guys follow us on social media, but last week we broke 50,000 downloads and we've got over a thousand subscribers to the podcast. So thank you guys so much for being dedicated and listening to uh, us babble on about the things that we babble about. And, uh, you know, with, without you guys, we wouldn't be able to have this. And, and I know I can speak for myself and I'm probably pretty sure I can speak for Phil too. We really, really enjoy these opportunities to have a conversation knowing that it, you know, that it's going to go out, um, to you guys. And even though, you know, there's so many different ways to skin these cats when it comes to all the different things in in the world of precision, long range shooting, and we're just a very small fraction of that. And so it's humbling for us to know that, that we have such an impact. And so that's our way of giving back to the community. That's, that's basically given us, you know, the ability to, to sit here in front of you. So that's awesome. Yeah, I would have never guessed that you when you and I started doing podcasts that it would we would take off like this and get get really passionate about doing this, you know. Um, especially with me instructing uh here at Gunworks, you know, uh, we're technically in our quote unquote off season because uh, it's too cold to hold classes in in uh anywhere in a part of the world, I'm sure on the East Coast, especially with everything going on right now. Um so, you know, these podcasts have really helped me still uh, maintain my edge on being an effective communicator. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, and like you said, we're in the business of communication. It's, you know, as much as I enjoy, you know, get on the gun and, and shooting, I think my passion for educating others in, into what I'm doing 
definitely outweighs it. And that's what, you know, um, that's why I'm able to do what I do just because I think, uh, my passion for teaching, you know, is, is way above my passion for long range shooting. It just so happens that I am able to teach, you know, yeah. uh, long range shooting. So it's, it's, it's important because a lot of this stuff, um, from a teaching standpoint and before we get too doubt too like too off the beaten path, so to speak, there's a definite difference between instructors versus teachers. And I think maybe, you know, maybe we could revisit that topic a little bit later on uh, down the road in this particular podcast episode. Um, <clears throat> because what we're going to talk about today is, is um, a lot of mindset. We're going to bring us right back to that mindfulness behind the rifle and kind of take another dive into what that really means. Um, and before we get there, uh, I wanted to mention a couple of uh, house cleaning things for our listeners uh, at Modern Day Sniper. You guys need to get on that email list. Um, get on the email list. We have our first newsletter going out uh, tomorrow, and our newsletters are going to be starting to go out monthly. And each of those months' newsletters are going to have things like industry news. They're going to have what's going on in the precision rifle community. There's going to be some educational stuff in there. We have uh, the Modern Day Sniper YouTube channel is up and running. It's, you know, we've only got a couple of videos. We're, we're populating that right now. And really what we've been doing is just been in content collection mode with um, everything that's happening in the world right now. And our online training, guys, is on the way. You guys have been beating us up over it. That's badass. I love it. Um, and we should be able to have that up and running for you guys within about a week and a half to two weeks. I might be speaking out of turn, <laughs> out of turn here. And I, I hope <laughs> Cass is not listening to me cause she's going to be like, better not be making promises that you can't deliver. Um, but, uh, that's on the way. And we're really excited about that. Uh, the other thing, some of you guys noticed we got swag. Um, we are dialing in the swag. We got our first round of samples. We're really happy with them. And now all we have to do is, uh, is get some web pages built for them and we will have some swag out there for you guys to purchase t-shirts, hats, uh, hoodies. We got a really cool hoodie here. That's really super lightweight that you could wear as a sun shirt on the range. And it's probably one of my more favorite pieces of clothing right now. So, uh, with all that shit done out of the way, Let's talk about the meat and potatoes of, of this, uh, this episode today. So mindfulness behind the rifle, where are we at right now in the world? What's going on? Uh, I would say that majority of the, the nation is on, is, it should be following their social distancing guidelines. Uh, let's just put it that way. Uh, i.e. staying at home, uh, maybe not traveling to public places. Uh, so a lot of time to just kind of, maybe do chores around the house, but you can only do those so many times, right. Or, or whatever. Um, you know, and, and I would, I would think that people think they still need to, uh, well, I would say that people probably think in order for them to get training, they would have to do, um, some kind of live fire training, but that's definitely not the case. No, it's not. It's not something, um, it's, you can still be proficient when it comes to uh, a precision rifle because a lot of what we do with the precision rifle is mechanics. It's how we interact with the rifle and how we manipulate it. And so we can accomplish a lot of that stuff by, by just dry firing. And 
it's important to not just like lay there and, and kind of mindlessly go through the dry fire process. You want to make sure that you're incorporating purpose built drills, the same kind of drills that you're, that you're going to shoot with live ammo with your dry fire practice. And Phil, you just had some stuff come out on dry fire stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So some things that you and I, I mean, I, I definitely overlook, right. Cause I assume it's an implied task, but you know, the, the, the small effort of having to adjust your bipods on the fly when you get down in a position, right. That, I mean, that is a task in itself. Um, I, I hear guys, or I've seen guys struggle too, uh, on, on the hunting side when, you know, we get down and they realize it's not a perfect prone position and their bipods are not even deployed, you know, to the height they needed to, you know, them reaching up and grabbing their bipods and then, you know, somewhat still being on target. I mean, that's a chore, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'd see guys take four or five minutes to get down and, and find their target again after adjusting their bipods and realize that, man, this is super uncomfortable. So, you know, when you, when you, like Kalen said, having a purpose, you're like, don't just lay there on your belly and then just run the bolt 3 million times. You know, I just uh, covered a, a video on um, bolt manipulation. So if you mm -hmm. guys uh, check that out, um, just, you know, uh, the two techniques that I've kind of teach and evolved myself from my initial uh, foundation of the bolt manipulation. But, um, you know, when you look at, let's say for those competitors out there, I would say, look at a couple of your, your books that you've had from other, you know, match days and just redesign that stage. And then just don't look at, you know, uh, Oh, this one target and five positions. Well, think about, you know, transitioning in and out of those positions. Right. Um, like we talked about before this podcast, uh, a lot of things that's overlooked is just rifle handling, how to, how to safely and effectively handle your rifle, um, to where you can move from one position to another, you know, uh, point A to point B while you know, maintaining a, a good, safe direction uh, and have good control of it, right? Especially, you know, with these um, competitive rifles are getting north of, you know, 23 to 25 pounds. Mm -hmm. And uh, too many people can, you know, wheel those around. <laughs> well, well. Yeah, it gets to a point where, you're, where you go, wow, okay, well, how how do I how, how am I going to be able to get this gun on the prop or get it from the staging area safely and and you don't want to obviously lose control of it because we you know we we are responsible for everything that occurs with that firearm um, while it's in our possession. So the the thing with dry fire is making sure that you're replicating everything that you would be doing with that rifle under a real circumstance or under a real situation. And so I put myself on a timer. I use a shot timer and I set my par times to, <clears throat> um, push me enough. But so like when you set up your times, um, don't think that you have to meet a certain time limit, figure out what time limit that is on your own. And then so as an example, okay, so start off saying, I'm going to put 15 seconds on the clock going from standing to prone. And I want to be able to build a shooting position and obtain a natural point of aim and go through my shooter's checklist in that 15 seconds and get a shot off. And that shot inside that 15 seconds should not be rushed, right? We should be able to deliver a well-aimed shot. And so if, if you get to the point where you're like, man, I can only do this in like 17 seconds, 
All right, that's fine. Maintain that at now up your time to like 20 seconds and say, okay, 20 seconds. I'm going to cruise at this specific speed until I get it and I can't get it wrong. And then you start taking time away. Once you start taking time away for the exact same scenario, that's when you start pushing yourself. You take the time away until you can't make the time. And then you fly again, you add maybe a second or two, and then you fly on that plateau until you're ready to step it up a notch. And that's really how, that's really how we should be figuring out how to be more fast and more efficient. Yeah. So instead of like, so when you're dry firing, instead of just laying down on the ground, on the ground, you know, uh, running through the bolt, you know, pressing your trigger, you know, cause at that, at that point you're just focused on the, the almost the shooting aspect of it. Right. Um, but you're not thinking about the, all the other implied tasks of getting into that position. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you should be, you know, and, and, you know, as you're, when you're dry firing, all of the movements getting into that firing position should be all part of that dry fire routine. Um, like you just said, and I think the next question is going to be, you know, stepping out of this. Okay. What's a, what's a good time for, for standing, um, getting down to the prone and getting first, well, I'd say about 15 seconds within a target 600 yards and in, you know, yep. anything past 600 yards. Now you got to make a really good educated wind call. It's probably going to take about 20 to 25 seconds. Mm-hmm. Right? But if, you know, if you got a target at 600 yards and in about two MOA, you should be able to get a first round hit or your first round on target in less than 15 seconds. I think that's yeah. a good time. That's what, that's usually what I strive for mm-hmm. even in positional shooting, uh, with targets at 500 yards and in. Yeah. And like, so another drill that you guys can do, um, jump on sniper side and get that 21 dot drill, those time standards and run those time standards. That is an awesome drill for it's all prone shooting. But if, if you haven't shot that drill before live fire, I would highly encourage you to do so because it will point out every single thing you're doing wrong. And this is another reason, like we see how many times have we shot paper in a, in a rifle match? Very, very rarely. And if it is paper, it's like, you know, the, 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 the card, the spade drill where it's like the one shot, or it is, um, maybe like a 300 yard grouping exercise. We shot that out in Washington. They had that, um, that group size indicator, that sensor that was set up for 300, and so, like, the paper stuff, it doesn't lie, right? It, it oh, doesn't yeah. lie, and it sucks because you see it all, and you're like, well, that was me. Yep, that was me. But it's undeniable, right? You can't – there's nothing you can blame it on. Can't blame it on the wind. Can't blame it on your barrel speeding up. Can't blame it on your load. You can't blame it on anything. It's just – it is what it is. And and so I, I do shoot a lot of paper. I shoot a lot of paper at hundred yards. I'm not the best group shooter at hundred yards, but I utilize that, that opportunity to, to train. And, and we have it all the time. Like people, students are like, Oh, I don't have a range to shoot long range. And I'm like, dude, you don't need a, you don't need a long range to, to teach yourself how to be a rifleman. Like you don't, I mean, you do when you start needing to get into learning external ballistics and the effects of wind and, and other atmospheric effects that are happening out there. But to develop your skills as a fundamental rifleman, you don't need that long range. You just need a place that you can put holes into paper. 
So what, what a lot of people don't realize is that the, the only thing that, um, or the, I would say the two, the only, the two only things that dry fire drills do not do for a shooter, um, is one, give you feedback on, on the ability to, you know, uh, check, see how well you're able to judge when, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So that's one. And, and two is the, um, uh, how the body is going to react to recoil mm-hmm. right? and, and how that position is built to, to handle the recoil, uh, in terms of, you know, managing your recoil and recoil management and stuff like that. Cause you know, I would say for, for shooters that don't shoot as much, you know, that enthusiast that maybe goes out, you know, once every, I don't know, every other weekend and, and, and stuff like that. Normally I would say after every shot that he takes, his first shot, what do you probably think he does? He probably has to rebuild his shooting position. Oh yeah. You see, because he just does, it's like, like he just hit, gets hit with that recoil and it's like, okay, well I wasn't really expecting that. So they'll, he'll readjust. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so those are only two things, the other like mechanics of getting into your position and you know, uh, your, your fundamentals. Um, I mean, that's what you're trying to, uh, essentially instill into your muscle memory bank, you know, per se, uh, to where again, when, it, when the time comes to, you know, be in a stressful situation, you know, you go back to that unconscious competence that we talked about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, um, we, we had this conversation again before the podcast, um, our good friend, uh, Gunnar Skinta, <laughs> had uh, made a comment about you know a checklist that actually one of uh, one of our listeners had had printed out based off our podcast that we did a you know a few a few episodes back shooter's checklist I think it was episode eight and mm-hmm. uh, I think that was really cool you know it, it it goes to show that he was you know taking you know steps into helping him you know build this dry fire routine or his just his 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 pre fire checklist and his shooter checks and stuff like that and. Um, I could see where Skinta's, you know, have a little reserved on that. Um, but at the end of the day, he's right in the sense that a checklist is only as good as your ability to commit it to memory. Mm-hmm. And these, and this time right now that we're probably not doing, not, most people are not doing anything and can't leave their house is a good time to get that checklist down and memorized in your head. And it's the time where when you're laying behind a gun, you go into conscious competence mode and you're, and I talked about this with Travis and in, in, in a podcast I did with him two weeks ago is understanding that I'm thinking about every, I'm cognizant about every single movement of my body um, that is being, that is affecting the shot. So, you know, from my hips to my shoulder connection, all that stuff. So that when, when I build that, you know, repetition after repetition, and I go to a competition or I'm going on a hunt, all of that becomes second nature to me, right? Now, the only thing that I'm thinking about that, that it's important is, you know, uh, because I know my fundamentals are, are sound, the only thing that I should be focused on is, hey, this is what the wind is doing downrange. And this is, you know, where my, all my efforts is focused on. And that's usually what is the reason why I would say 90% of the time I miss is, is, uh, is because it's a bad wind call, not because, you know, I've got a, a shooter fundamental error. Yeah. And the other part of that too is, <clears throat> pardon me, is the, is having the mental headspace to slow down when you know that you need to slow down. Like when you're like, when you approach a, 
a position in the field in a hunting environment, like we're talking about that conscious competence and then moving that into a place of unconscious competence, we're still having a problem solve, right? We're still having to look at that particular position and analyze what it is that we need to do with my, with your body before you even get there. And that's usually the way that I, that I try to approach things is I see, I see the, the, the position that I'm going to shoot from. And then what I do is I visualize <clears throat> what my body's going to look like before I even get there. So I know exactly where I need to go um, before, before I even approach it. And so that is, that's where we start talking about the unconscious competence aspect of it. So while I'm building the position, I'm ta- I'm paying attention to all the foundational fundamentals of building a position, but I've already thought through that before I've even gotten there. So I'm, I'm, ba- I'm, I'm using that mental checklist to check off. Okay. Am I building my position from the ground up? Do I have a, do I have a stable platform? Do I have the widest stance possible? Where's my center of gravity? Where's my natural point of aim? Am I square to the rifle? All these things are going through my head you know, snap, 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 but I'm doing them as they're coming to me. And I don't have to actually give that conscious thought. It's a feel, it's just being in the moment. Yeah. And that is super, super important to try to achieve that. Do we all, do we always accomplish that? No, man, we don't always accomplish that. That's why we make mistakes. It's what you do with the mistake that defines what you're going to do later on or for the next couple of shots. So the, uh, the dry fire thing, getting in and out of those positions. Now that's the time for you to do this nice and slow. You do this nice and slow. You do it methodically. You get yourself a checklist. And so like Skint has got a great point. Like when I, the reason that I built that checklist so long ago was I was seeing the students I was constantly telling them, build a mental checklist, build a mental checklist. And then I was like, well, what if their own mental checklist is jacked up? Maybe they're forgetting steps. Again, just like Mick saying, it's only as good as what you commit to memory. And so I made the checklist for them and I wanted to keep it as simple as I possibly could to make sure that they could remember it under whatever stresses it was that they were under at the time. So if I take that a step further, really my checklist is like, it's three major things. And it's, and I tell the students this all the time. If there's only three friggin' things that you can remember when it's time for, you know, for it's go time, it's, do I have a good body position? Am I aiming the rifle the way it needs to be aimed? And am I pressing the trigger the way it should be pressed? If I can think of those three things, you're probably going to be okay based upon the situation. What do you think? I like it. No, I, I, uh, so let me, let me ask you here, um, is getting into individual training. And I, I think you and I, I have a problem with this is, is I, when I go to the range, I have to go by myself because if I go with other people, I end up just go back in instructor mode. Right. That's, um, <laughs> so it's like, I have to go by myself to just focus on me. So when I, when I do go to by myself and, and I'm at the range, what are like, what am I, what am I training for? Okay. If I'm training for positionals, what I do is I do real quick, uh, you know, my 10 to 50, 15 second drill. That is, you know, let's say I'm working on the standing position. Um, I'll establish my baseline of my standing. That's another podcast in itself, but just a regular standing position. And, uh, I'll shoot off that 
you know, I'll give myself 10 to 15 seconds to see, okay, wh- where's my threshold on what size target. And then let's say like, I'm trying to push it down to a one MOA target at 400 yards. All right. That's, that's pretty tough. Right. Um, so then after I do my 10 to 15 second, you know, two round drills, then I go into like what I call a slow fire mode where I take uh, five to 10 rounds. And then this is where I, like you talked about going slow and methodical into, okay, this is my shooting position. This is how, this is the pressure that I'm connected to my rifle. This is, you know, how my leg placement is. This is where my shoulders are at. This is where my elbows are at. How can I adjust any of this as I'm looking through this reticle to minimize this wobble zone? Because the last thing that I want to do when I'm looking through, especially in an alternate shooting position is get better at timing my shot. Right. Right. That I, and I think that's where a lot of people get confused. It's like, man, that guy's just really good at timing a shot. It's like, no, like my reticle, like is going to be on target <laughs> or I'm not pressing the trigger or I'm not pressing the trigger. That, 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 that's, that's it. Right. Where I've, I've heard, I've heard some guys are like, you know, I just, just kind of get it there and <laughs> that's that, around and, and, that's and that 10 ounce ready. trigger comes into play. And, it, it, that, and, and that's where, <laughs> yeah, people think that, you know, going to a, a 10 ounce trigger, you know, is beneficial and, and it truly is. But then, like you said, you start building those bad habits of timing your shot. Um, and I talked about this with Travis in our, in our podcast. It was like, I was like, the last thing you want to do too, is when you're practicing is practice on an unstable barricade. Because what you're inducing in that unstable barricade is again a, a mechanical wobble that you can't control. Mm-hmm. So then you know you've got your own instability, and then now that obstacles instability, and again, what are you doing? You're just sitting there timing your shot, and and avoid. And a, a, another thing to do is avoid. Uh, what I what I would say is, and this is just me, avoid uh, shooting at a target that's too small, yep. because when a target is too small, again, you're going back to wanting to time your shot because you know, I would say unless like you're at the perfect balance point of that rifle, depending if you have a competition rifle, the lighter the rifle is, especially if, if you're like a hunter listening to this and you, you know, you're like, man, my rifle is only eight pounds. Your rifle, especially depending on where your balance point is, is going to be a lot harder to drive on a, on an unsupported or a supported position than a competitor with a 22 to 23 pound rifle, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So is with a, with a lightweight gun, all of that input that you're putting into it is, is translating directly to the muzzle. Yep. And, and, and that thing's going to be moving like crazy. Mm -hmm. And that's where the benefit of like trying to find that place of stillness Mm -hmm. that, that is so elusive in, in building a position, but it's important for you to try to find that position of stillness. And that's really where, where a natural point of aim comes into play. We, I've heard so many people tell me, man, natural, that just takes too long. What are you talking about, dude? It, what, do you, what do you mean it takes too long? You're doing it wrong if it takes too long. Well, because when, when people think about natural point of aim, they go back to the uh, textbook, like how to check natural point of aim. Close your eyes, mm-hmm. take a deep breath in, right? It's like, okay, that's how you check it. Yep. But, you know, what is natural point of aim? Like define it, right, without, w- without your ability to check it. No, like right now it's yeah, yeah. no 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 i'm asking i'm like 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 i'm asking them oh right, right. <laughs> to find natural point of aim no i know i know we've talked about this before and yeah no plan to talk about it. we you know uh but when i ask them it's like hey what's your definition of natural point of aim what do you think natural point of aim is the only thing that they revert back to you know and this is even experienced snipers right 
uh, the thing that they revert back to is the how to check it. Yep. Right. Not their own uh, individual meaning of or definition of what natural point of aim is. Yeah, because you're you're anybody can regurgitate shit out of a textbook, man. Like just because you can recite me the definition doesn't mean that you know it. And that's really the difference between, in my in my personal opinion, that's the difference between a teacher and an instructor. Um, you know, I was I was actually having a conversation with with Cass about this and about how we were taught to teach in the Marine Corps, and I, and you probably remember this the systems approach to training, right? So I I have this master lesson file of my student outlines, my instructor outlines, my media, my handouts, and basically the way that the Marine Corps thinks that this works is you can, you can take this manual of the fundamentals of marksmanship and hand it to somebody that works at motor T. And as long as they're a formal school instructor course, certified podium instructor, they are qualified to administer that piece of instruction. You are qualified to regurgitate information. That's the only thing that you're qualified to do at that point in time. Now, are there good things that come from stuff like that? Sure. And, and, and what that means is attention to detail. And that's one of the things that, that comes along with that is like, hey, how, you have to get super nitty gritty with your curriculum development because curriculum development is really what drives a course. Um, you know, curriculum development will make or break your ability to communicate information. So, but like back to the natural point of aim thing, like just because you regurgitate the definition doesn't mean that you know exactly what it really means yeah so you got to put your own spin on that you got to put your own and and not only that you got to be able to to convert that to everybody else's style of learning because you might have 15 dudes in that class that that all of them learn a little bit different and so you gotta you gotta cater that to them and um the natural point of aim thing I, i the way i look at it is i'm gonna i'm basically melting i'm melting into the position freeze freeze right yeah you freeze and you're just like oh fuck maybe they don't see me i'm just gonna melt right so sorry, then you sorry. melt it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's fuck ptsd man um so you, you melt into that position and when you reach the bottom when you reach the bottom of that melt the bottom of that melt should be where that reticle just slides right into the center of that target or wherever your wind hold's going to slide into the center of that target. And you find this moment of stillness and that moment of stillness at the bottom of your breath is where your brain says, all right, man, press the trigger. And that's when the bullet goes downrange. And, and people say that you did, that takes too long. And you're just like, dude, you're not training for it the right way. Like I know, and I know within two seconds, three seconds of getting and settling into a shooting position, whether I have a natural point of aim or not. I know based upon what the rifle feels like as I aim it in the general direction of the target, I'm like, nope, my, my hips got to come right like an inch, you know, or I need to bring this leg a little bit farther forward, maybe a half of an inch to find that place of stillness. So that way I don't have wobble on the target. And that, guys, is what this dry fire stuff should be doing for you. So this, let's go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, let's dive into this a little more. Uh, yeah. I like where we're going here. Um, so let's let's talk about some signs of hey, um, I need to adjust my natural point of aim. Sweet. Um, yeah. 
So, so what are some signs, whether it be uh, the position of your body, the way it feels, whether it be, for me, it's not only the position of my body, but uh, immediately uh, what my reticle uh, wobble is telling me. Yeah, and, the reticle and my, feedback. And, and, my, and my breathing pattern, mm-hmm. right? And you posted a really great video about this, I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, with the trigger cam of you doing oh, some yeah. um, uh, zeroing grouping drills, right? Uh, where you're, you know, I think you weren't shooting with a rear bag, right? I wasn't shooting with a rear bag. And you were demonstrating, um, you know, your breathing technique and stuff like that. So if you're properly interfaced with that rifle and, you know, you're completely square to it and stuff like that, when you take a deep breath in, that reticle path or that barrel should travel straight down. And then as you exhale, it should come straight back up. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Now, uh, there's two errors that I see in this and there's one it's, it's when you have a angular motion, um, as you're breathing, right. That mm-hmm. tells you, that tells me that there's an angle somewhere that's created in your body. It's usually stemming from the elbows or the shoulders. And then there's a dragging, um, where let's say that your, your targets here, but your, your reticles wanting to aim to the left of that. So as you're, as you're breathing, what happens is you, your, your body is trying to force that reticle back on the axis to the target. So it drags back and forth as you're breathing. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? That's a good way of talking about that. I never, I never thought about t- saying like use the word drag and that's good because that's really what you're doing, either dragging or driving. Yeah. That is where like, that's where that little fine tuned stuff comes into play. Mm-hmm. Where, where you, you, you settle into the position and this is a great, this is a great dry fire drill for all you guys out there is like, just don't even worry about breaking a shot. Don't yeah. even worry about breaking a shot. Just get into that position and figure out how in tune you can be with your rifle and your body. This is all you guys are going to think I'm fucking crazy, but this is all body awareness. This is all knowing about what's going on with your body and your ability to manipulate it in very, very subtle ways to find that position of stillness. And I don't really care what any of you guys say. This is exactly why I do yoga. I do yoga because yoga is all about connecting your mind to your body and understanding where your body is in relationship to everything else. And so I guarantee, like from, I guarantee, I know for a fact that has made me a better positional shooter because I'm able to be completely aware of what's going on with my body. It doesn't, yoga has nothing to do with flexibility. It has nothing to do with fitness. It has, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with finding a place inside your mind where you can quiet yourself and you can be in, you can be completely aware of what all parts of your body are doing and where they're at. And guess what? Ding, ding, ding. That's exactly what you're doing in positional shooting with a rifle. Yeah, I like it. Yoga, connecting your body and your mind. And this is modern day sniper where we're connecting your mind to your rifle. Right. Huh? 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 Yeah. You like it? Yeah. That's a good yeah. It's- <laughs> That's what it is. That's because a lot of like, how many times have people asked you, like, what is this mindfulness behind the rifle stuff? I've had a lot of people call call me or text me and be like, "Man, I'm trying to explain this to people, and they they don't get it." And it's like, well, it's because you you're in this old methodology of thought process in terms of like what 
what we're actually doing to get into these different shooting positions. And there's, and we're constantly trying to find a better way. We're constantly well, trying to find a better way of doing it. Another thing that I hear too, uh, especially with, uh, you know, uh, some of the instructors out there is they'll just say it's just the application of the fundamentals of marksmanship. Yes. Right. Um, and that's, a, that's the biggest scapegoat. Right. And, and we're granted you and I are definitely preachers of fundamentals of marksmanship, but again, understanding how we deliver and, and understanding the, the refinement of the technique in which we're, we are delivering that information, right? Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, the application of the fundamentals of marksmanship, bone support, natural point of aim, and muscular relaxation, where you hear that shit all the time, right? I see it all over times on forums. I see, you know, when people are trying to help correct, and, and it's fine, people are trying to help correct uh, other shooters' deficiencies, especially um i spent too much time on facebook on like learn long range forms that's like where i easily get triggered uh, i just see a bunch of spew of incorrect information out there Stop that. Stop and it. then i'm just like all right do i want to waste my time for an hour and a half in comment or should i just be happy in my mom effing business and i'm like i'm just getting my my own business yeah it's usually the better way because yeah. that ends up polluting your mind right yeah. and so yeah, it's so- hard it's, it's difficult. Um, you know, going back to, you know, what, what Kayla and I are talking about with dry fire and, and natural point of aim, um, you know, so some key indicators for me, at least, like I, like I said, is, is my body doesn't feel right when I'm connecting to the rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then B, um, is my, my, my radical movement in inside the scope, right. Yeah. Are the, the two indicators is it because it's because my, uh, reticle is not, um, I don't have acceptable side picture, meaning that reticle is not within the target area, right? It's bouncing in and out or whatever the case might be. Right. Um, so those, th- that's what, you know, um, I would say um, uh, it's very difficult, especially for shooters that have a hard time getting in the prone. And, and that's one thing that I, I noticed coming into the civilian sector is not too many people are actually familiar with shooting in the prone. Um, there's a lot of shooters that, you know, they shoot off the bench, especially a precision rifle, right? I think what I've seen, I, I would say um, the, the industry has, you know, has, has gone from, I think a lot of it stems from the bench rest technique you know, the precision rifle and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. a lot of videos of, of shooting off a bench and, and whatever, you know, and again, I, I'd say shooting off a bench is fine if you're trying to maximize the potential use out of your rifle in terms of grouping and, and, and to see the, the precision and the accuracy of it. But when you talk about being a practical applicator of, you know, being a rifleman, like the last thing that I do is shooting off, shoot off a bench. Right. Yeah. If I'm shooting off a bench, I'm thinking of it as like a, a like a modified prop where I'm establishing a modified prone position. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep, uh, sure does. So, you know, getting into the prone position. So I, I would say, you know, find the perfect push up. And I think we haven't even done that. Like as simple as simple as that. It's like how to how to assume a good prone position. No. Yeah. That's, right. I don't. I haven't. In I know I haven't. Of, yeah, now no, they think about it, it's like, well, these guys are gonna be like, well, how the hell do I build a perfect prone position? <laughs> and and it's that it, it is the baseline for everything because if video you, idea, <laughs> right? If you can do a, if you can, if you can build a basic prone position, 
then you can take all of those same principles and like your, your eight factors, Mm -hmm. you have an additional over the seven that I've taught and I'm, and I'm going to work to modify mine as well to reflect that because it's, it's, it's good stuff. It's a great addition because it's now with modern shooting techniques and the modern shooting style, that eighth factor is a huge component of what we need to be thinking about in those, in those factors common to all shooting positions. But if you can take that same thing, that same prone position and apply it to the standing, the kneeling, the low kneeling, you're going to be able to be successful in building a supported position. The only thing that's going to change there guys is the natural point of aim then becomes that much more crucial for you to be able to deliver a shot with enough time to break a good press. And what I mean by that is, is if you, if you have the ability to, to obtain a natural point of aim, you're not doing any work. You're not doing any work to put the reticle in the middle of the target. Your body is doing all the work in that moment of stillness where you're like, I'm not holding, there's no muscle tension. I'm at the bottom of my breath. And aside from the bottom of my breath, I could, I could hold this reticle here in the middle of the target all day long. That's where, that's that moment of, I got it. The, the light bulb comes on and we're like, Oh, that's what this is supposed to feel like. That's that settling and melting into the position. That's finding the stillness and that's seeing that reticle just rock solid in the middle of the target, giving you all day long to press the trigger. Uh, one thing I want to uh, kind of shift gears to, that's still kind of the same topic because it's going to get brought up um, in terms of alternate position shooting. I think that's something that we can quickly cover on without diving into uh, many rabbit holes is uh, establishing your baseline. And I, and I got this kind of from, from you um, at the Monster Lake mayhem the first match that i that i hosted um i don't know if you called it a baseline i think i i just ended up calling it a baseline um but uh you were going over a tripod technique with a, oh, yeah, with a competitor yeah. and uh you know t- how to find the right height for let's say a sitting position mm-hmm. right and then what you did was like i uh, see your sternum level and stuff like that and then ever since then i've referenced that baseline you know for all my shooting positions so you know i used to like measure the the height of a barricade based off my body but now i just measure it based off of okay when i get into my position that is at my kneeling baseline double kneeling baseline does mm-hmm. that make sense yeah for sure right so um yeah let's talk about it so the the reason we've always seen people struggle with tripod shooting trying to figure out how high they should make the tripod <clears throat> and you're going at it backwards yeah. and the reason that you're going at it backwards is the tripod the reason that we started shooting off of tripods in the first place was outside of like the realm of stalking and being able to burn a window through a piece of vegetation so that I could identify my target, which is a big deal, obviously. But when we really started unlocking the true potential of shooting off of a tripod in combat, it was because we were in an urban environment and we were needing to, we, we basically were starting to understand. We were like, yo, dude, if I don't have anything to shoot off of, I have to expose myself to a wicked barrage of enemy fire just to get a shot off. And like fighting in Fallujah, I'm not sticking my friggin' head out of a window, man. Like that's a good way to catch a bullet in the face. And so we, and that's, that's serious because 
if it's not a bad guy that's going to shoot you, it's believe it or not, it's some super scared dude behind a 240 golf that's going to shoot first and ask questions later. Yep. And that's the reality of combat. For all you guys out there that are talking shit, like you don't know because you don't know. It's a real, real fear. They don't know what it is to be a 19 year old fucking, yeah. you know, uh, on a, shitless. On a, yep, on a 240 right on top of a turret. Mm-hmm. So, so we realized that shooting off of a tripod was going to be a, you know, a big time force multiplier for us. And so in an urban environment, you have to be able to clear an obstacle. You have to be able to get your bullet to go over something like a windowsill or the edge of a parapet or something to that effect. So in that situation, yes, a tripod is there to get you over the top of the obstacle. But if you don't have an obstacle to shoot over, the tripod is just there now for a support. And so if the, if the dictation is, okay, you have to shoot from the kneeling tripod supported position, you look at and you're like, okay, well, there's nothing for me to shoot over. I don't have to worry about obstacle clearance. Build your shooting position first and then set the tripod height up for your baseline which would be, generally speaking, the, the top of the tripod where the rifle connects to the tripod is going to be about sternum level. And so when you build the position, you get, in, in, you get into that position, you build your, your body position into a state where you're like, okay, yeah, I can hang out here for a long time. I'm not, I'm not feeling any pain. Like for people in the kneeling position, that can be a very painful, uncomfortable position to shoot from. And if you're in a lot of pain and you're uncomfortable, you're not going to be focusing on the things that you need to focus on, which is everything but feeling discomfort. Uh, Dude, so, I'm, I, <laughs> so uh, did did we did we talk about this? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm funny that you just said that because I, I teach the same thing. Like when you build your position, you're building it off three different factors: stability, your ability to manage recoil, and ultimately comfort. Because right. if you're uncomfortable. The only thing you're fucking thinking about is how you just want to get out of that yeah. fucking position, right? Yeah. And not think about anything else. So if anything, based off of, right, comfort should be number one. And I, I get it. Not all positions, are, you know, especially if you're, if you're running and gunning, you can't get in a, a you know, comfortable position. But mm-hmm. depending on your flexibility, you know, think of it as a triangle, you know, one, one as you take one away uh, or, you know, uh, give advantage to another one, you know, so if you look at sure. recoil management, comfort and stability, right. Uh, in a position. So standing maximizes comfort and maximizes recoil. Well, I would say maximizes comfort, um, but not so much recoil management or stability. Right. Would you, would you make it make sense? Uh, 100%, and then, and yep. then prone would, would maximize stability and recoil management, but for some people, not so much comfort. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm, and so like, you see, we, we do it in, in class, like people are shooting thousand yard pieces of steel from a barricade from the standing position. And they're just like blown away that they can make that happen. Now, can they do that on day one? Some people do just because, you know, they have a, a higher level of understanding what the fundamentals are, but most of the students by the end of the fourth day in that package, it provided that the wing call is good. They're just crushing stuff out there. And just, it's so, it's, it's, it's so fun to see the look on their face where they're like, dude, I just smacked a man sized piece of steel at a grand from the standing position behind this fucking wall. And you're just like, yeah, dude, it's totally possible. If you follow these principles. 
And not only that, it's not like one in 10. Your, your hit ratio is better than 50, 60%, hopefully even better than 80%. So the only way that you can achieve that is through understanding what a natural point of aim is. And so back to the tripod conversation, if you don't have anything to, if you don't have anything to shoot over, you can basically build the tripod to your level of comfort. So that way you're not fighting a, a bad position. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure we actually answered our question though uh, for, for baseline. Um, so what baseline? Yeah. So what is baseline? So, so let's say, um, let's, you know, someone at home, he's trying to work on, let's say a sitting technique, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're going to do is you want to sit down as comfortably as you can without interfacing with the rifle. Cause they thought you talk about, um, people do it backwards, right? Is right. Like they'll, yeah. they'll sit their tripod up right in the sitting position, like just some random, like low enough. And then what they do is they're like, okay, let me try to, <laughs> I'm, I'm watching Kalen and I'm, I'm at the same time. I'm, I'm like, working my body position here. If only sure. you could see the video on this. <laughs> I look like a freaking idiot. <laughs> We're both going to do videos on yeah. this. I guarantee it. Anyways, um, so people, and I see this, I saw this at sniper school when I was teaching, right? And because it wasn't really taught. It was, it was just like, hey, set your, your tripod up as low as possible and then get into a sitting position behind it. Well, then people would get into these really effed up sitting positions that right. wasn't even conducive for even, uh, um, deliberate operations. Like there's no way you're going to fucking sit like that for 12, 24 hours. You know what I mean? It even stems to the bipod, dude. Like yeah. how many times have we heard, get your bipod as low to the ground as possible? Well, <laughs> your prone position is going to suck ass if your bipod is as low as possible. Yeah. Especially right? when you got, when you got uh, a, a plate carrier with six bags up front. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't work that way, man. Yeah. So, you know, the, so sit down as comfortable as you can. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is establishing your baseline in the sitting position. Sit down, right? Now, I realize that people can't cross-leg sit. Another plus one for yoga. If you yoga, you can increase your flexibility. <laughs> yoga more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think what the most playthrough could do is cross-legged sitting. Um, but, uh, you know, I, that's what I do. I do a cross-legged sitting. Yep. And when I sit down and put my elbows both in between my um, my uh, joints under behind my knees mm-hmm. and... Um, then what I do is I figure out where the rifle is going to rest in, uh, relation to my sternum level, mm-hmm. two to four inches above it. Yep. That's, that's perfect. Yep. That's usually so a take, perfect baseline. Yep, exactly. So meaning you don't have to essentially, um, adjust your body because your body is naturally just there at that point, right? Mm-hmm. When you're, and all you have to do is just connect yourself to that rifle at that point. But anything outside of that two to four inches above your sternum, what you're having to do now is is contort your body to build that shooting position. And now you're working against yep. the uh, the built position. Is that is, for is sure? That right. Okay. Yeah, and that's the thing that that we try to that we try to get people to understand or the common mistake too is like they build a position or they set the tripod up and and they actually like try to scoot their body towards the tripod and you're like dude stop like just pick it up and move it to you <laughs> it's there it's like you can pick it up and move it don't do all this extra work and and that's really um because you know the the students sometimes feel that we have like not everybody can achieve the same body positions that we, that we can achieve, right. The same shooting positions. And so there has to be some concessions made And those concessions though, 
can totally follow the fundamentals of marksmanship. They just have to be modified a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and building the position around, like, if you're going to shoot from a tripod next time, guys, like, if you're going to dry fire at home, I would just encourage you to, to go through this real slow and just put, the, put say, okay, I'm going to build a kneeling, a high kneeling position right now. Build the ideal high kneeling position. Okay. Bring the right knee up. If you're a right-handed shooter, connect your shooting elbow to the right knee, mock up the position as you would shooting it. Then like with an imaginary rifle, then say, okay, where should the top of my tripod be? Once you see that, now you can set the tripod up for that position. And when you attach the rifle to the tripod and then you attach yourself to the rifle, you're going to be like, yo, dude, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. Because if I'm not dictating something that you have to shoot over, build it for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I would say now that you have that information, you're, you guys should be, you know, uh, I'm assuming a most, a lot of competitors probably have tripods. You know, if mm-hmm. you're, if you're the rifle enthusiast to this, um, if you don't have one, it's definitely uh, wise to invest in one. I would say that, um, you know, the tripod, if anything, and I say this a lot is, is probably one of the most underutilized tools for any rifleman out there. Um, mm-hmm. if I had to take, if I had a choice between putting a bipod on my rifle or bringing a tripod, I would bring the tripod over, bring a bipod. And, oh, and absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's Hands me. Down. Um, so, um, you know, so now that you have that baseline information, it'd be good to work on your just sitting, kneeling and standing. You're just your generic positions, right? I would say just to establish a good baseline of, okay, this is my sitting position. This is my kneeling. This is my standing. What gets a little bit more, I would say advanced is when you start to break out of those comfort areas of standing, kneeling and sitting, right? Because now what you're doing is you're a lot, you depending on your physical fitness level, your flexibility level, when you get out of that comfort zone, now you're relying a lot on your your core to keep your body position essentially, you know, erect or, you know, uh, um, upright, I would say, um, or comfortable because when you connect to that rifle, if you're uncomfortable and, and, you know, with some of your, your muscles starting to flex because you're outside of that comfort zone, that's where you start to see a lot of that wobble. Right. And I would say that the hardest position for any, any shooter is that low standing that is, too high for a for a high kneeling yeah that's a pain man that's a tough position to get in and and so in in learning how to constantly learning how to teach people these things and trying to trying to come up with ways of explaining this the thing that i've that i've grown to as my go-to is center of gravity and talking to people, trying to explain to people what their center of gravity is and how your center of gravity is going and being aware of what your center of gravity is in all of these different positions is going to help you find that moment of stillness so that way you can press the trigger. And so I would encourage you guys, the next time you're in your shooting position, start off in the standing and work to a point at which you can stand completely still with your feet grounded at, you know, feet wider than shoulder width apart and figure out where your center of gravity is. Okay. Once you once you figure that, like imagine, imagine like a, a plumb line, right. With a weight on it. 
connected to the top of your head, all the way down the center of your spine. Wherever that plumb bob is hitting the ground, that's where your center of gravity is, right? So then if I move forward at the hips, like I bend forward at the hips, like you would try to traditionally, because how many times we got taught off of tripods, lean back, right? Because we were, we just didn't know, we didn't know. I mean, we were just learning. One of my biggest, like that, oh man, one of the biggest things I want to do is, is like, yeah, that's, yeah, shooting off a tripod, there's so like much bad there's tons of out, there. out there. Yeah. I mean, but no, I know, you're, I know you're talking about people are leaning too far over a, uh, off the standing tripod position, trying right. to, and again, they're trying to do a recoil and stuff like that, but they're like, you don't need to be leaning that far because and, and let me put you in that position for 24 hours. Let me t- I'll tell you yeah, what, you, you, you can't do it. Yeah. Not, not sustainable. So when you do that, guys, when you bend at your hips, right, just stand straight up, lean over, bend at the hips, and you're going to feel that center of gravity shift. As soon as you feel like the weight come forward, you're going to notice, okay, well, I got to fire my quads and I got to fire muscles in my legs to hold that center of gravity, right? That's, in, that's incorrect. As soon as you have to fire muscles to hold your body, you are no longer neutral. Does that make sense? Yep. Oh, yeah. And, and that's really what we're trying to do. That's all we're trying to do. The natural point of aim is we're trying to come to a position of neutrality with our body behind the gun you're and, you're you're a lot better at finding words than i am i like that the, the <laughs> word firing up your legs no that that's good that's exactly you know what uh our we our goal is to especially for supported shooting positions is for our body to stay neutral yes like like you had just, like you had just you just said yeah Second that we're our body is no longer neutral we're inducing a lot of muscle tension yeah, as soon as you have to use muscles to hold that center of gravity where it want, where it needs to, where you think you need it to be, you have to start moving your lower body to to get your body, you, you get your your foundation back underneath the center of gravity. If 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 that makes any sense. So another perfect example is um, the low kneeling position. So the low kneeling position that's a tough, like two knees on the ground, you know, your knees are split, your knees are spread out quite a ways. You're trying to get as low as you possibly can, because honestly, nobody wants to be in the seated position because the seated position sucks. The reason the seated position sucks is the only way that I can really manipulate my natural point of aim effectively is by moving side to side, lateral transition, no big deal, but it's the height that now I'm glued, like I'm committed now to this height. And so I'm going to try to stay I'm going to try to stay on my knees because I can very easily alter my center of gravity by scooting my knees either closer to the barricade or the prop or scooting them farther back. And and now when I say that, I'm talking about like little, like minuscule, like just a little bit micro movements. And you're trying to find that position of stillness. And again, even when you're in that low kneeling position, you're going to feel you're just going to feel where that center of gravity is going to be like, Oh no, it's too far forward. I'm going to fall over. Okay. Well, if you feel that way, you have to, you have to get your base underneath that center of gravity to settle you down. And, and that's, that's my take on center of gravity. And and that's going to be, we're going to, we, we go, we're going to go over that in really deep detail in, um, in our positional shooting class and, and um, we are going to do an online training piece on positional shooting as well. That'll incorporate tripods and all that stuff. So look forward to that.
you know, we, right now we've got, uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on, um, for both of us, especially with, um, the COVID going on. Um, a lot of you and I, our classes, our, our physical classes had to get postponed, pushed mm-hmm. to the right. Unfortunately, you know, uh, the Gunworks Long Range Experience got pushed, uh, to the right to next year. Um, but what you and I have been talking about lately, especially with, um, our curriculum development is uh, our fundamentals of marksmanship class, mm-hmm. you know, and how we're, how the best way to deliver that. Right. Um, you know, when, again, as, as an, an instructor or a teacher, right. I, I don't, you know, I'm not just worried about the information that I'm giving you guys, but I'm worried about how your ability to not only receive it, but retain it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, realistically in, in the, no one can really bear unless you're in the military, you know, taking a month off of uh, work to do precision rifle training. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, when you're, you know, in the Marine Corps, it's like, that's where your appointed place of duty is for 13 weeks straight. Right. And that's why that foundation gets built so strongly, you know, for Marine scout snipers is because, you know, like that's all they're doing day in and day out. And that's the only thing they're focused and committed to. But with civilians, right, it's like, you know, they got real world, they got like life going on, you know, they're just enthusiasts, they're, you know, um, and and what I mean by that is like, when you come out to class, I could easily go, if it's a five day class, I could easily just sit you down in in classroom instruction and talk to you about fundamentals of marksmanship for five days straight. Really? Yes. And, but no one would come to class if that was the case, right? right. Yeah. we got to go shoot some. Guns. Yeah. Uh, we would get, we would get a, res, a review of one star. He's like, <laughs> all we did was sit in class and then Phil showed us some hot yoga positions <laughs> to get into. <laughs> um, and, and, and the reason I'm, I'm saying this is, is, you know, um, you know, I always revert back to the fundamentals because, you know, the fundamentals is a good baseline for everyone. And, 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 it helps us, you know, um, ensure that no matter what we have to always be thinking, we are the weakest link behind a, especially custom built precision rifles nowadays. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the fundamental of the marksmanship is what's always going to, uh, keep my ability to maximize performance out of that rifle system. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's no way to just teach it in four hours. And, and that's the, well, I would say uh, in two hours. And that's the block of time that um, I, I have in the curriculum to teach on a marksmanship, right? And like you said, it's a shit stacking effect, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully everyone that's been listening to these podcasts, you know, whether we've, Kayla and I have just repeated ourselves and we probably repeat ourselves a lot, but that's because hopefully at this point in time, in, in a different direction that we've talked about it, you guys can kind of have that aha moment if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. That's, um, that's what we hunt for as instructors. Yeah. Like that's what we're looking for, man. Uh, as a teacher, I'm looking for that aha moment. Um, so yeah. So like, you know, if you guys are listening to this and you're like, man, this was an in-depth, like in-depth class on, you know, you know, uh, fundamentals, marship, uh, not really in depth, but I would say more mindfulness of understanding, Hey, this is, you know, what you should be looking out for. Um, you know, go back to that shooter's checklist on episode eight. If you guys, um, you know, again, if, 
a good time to be what you should be doing as you're listening to this, especially if you, you, if you can't be driving to work and stuff like that is to be listening to this as you're with your rifle, I would say. So that as Kalen talks about building that shooting position earlier, right. You're kind of referencing, um, what he's talking about in terms of his kneeling position. You know, if you have a tripod at home, uh, and that's how it's going to click for you guys. But if you guys are just kind of listening to this, if you guys drive around, it's, it's, it's not, one thing that I've learned that's been really effective is after a period of instruction is to immediately apply it in a practical application of some sort. But if I, if I do like a fundamentals marshalship class and then like a wind class right after that, yeah. <laughs> without any practical application in between, oh my God, it's like a dumpster fire. Well, you remember like that's how classes used to be taught. I mean, oh, and yeah. I think there's a lot of freaking classes out there still taught that way. They're like, all right, we're going to front load everything in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sit you down and we're not, we're going to be in the classroom for like a whole half a day. Three days later, you're expected to pull this stuff out of your brain that was covered in like a 15 minute segment on a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. And you're like, no, that's not reasonable at all. Like that's not the way the human brain learns. It's not how that's how, not how we function we have to be able to, to connect those three methods of learning, which is the audio, the visual and the kinesthetic, right? And that kinesthetic is actually utilizing your body through practical application to apply these skills. So it's important guys, like in doing this stuff, you don't ever think that the fundamentals or the application of a natural point of aim is going to take too much time because it just, it's not. And if you think that it's taken too much time, then you need to focus on how you're applying and building your positions with a natural point of aim. I think to wrap this up on this episode, this is a good episode. Yeah, man, it was, I I, I didn't expect it to go that way. And I, and I, and I dug it like it's no big deal. Yeah, no, I think, um, especially right now with everything going on, it's a good, again, hopefully they listen, you guys listening to this can use this time, you know, to just refine your technique without it. And it's a, it's, it's possible to right? to refine your technique without the application of live fire drills. So, but yeah, to wrap it up, I think, uh, Kayla and I want to do, and this is something we want to do uh, at the end of each podcast is, is do we get a bunch of questions. Right? My, my inbox right now has got 99, uh, plus freaking requests. Um, and I have to filter through which one is a question that I think it's, it's pretty frequently asked from a lot of shooters. Yeah. I'm doing the um, same thing. Okay. Well, I got one, I got one that I can revert to right away here. All right. Um, this is a reloading question. And this comes from Mr. Tim Ullman. I think that's the way that you say that on, uh, that's your Instagram handle. So Tim's got a question on seven Psalm hand loading and let's see their specifics. He is, he's got an XM action and he's trying to figure out how much free border request. Thanks Scott. I appreciate that, bud. <laughs> so we've got um, a 22 inch proof light Sendero contour barrel. Uh, again, living in an XM action. So that's a medium length action. And that gives us another essentially 30 thousandths. Um, or no, no, actually it's 300 thousandths. Like uh, instead of 2.9 cartridge overall length with the XM, we're looking at 3.25. Reloader 26 and 80G brass. And so we're shooting Barnes 145s or the 168 LRX. So 
His question is, is the Barnes 168 LRX likely too heavy for a 22-inch tube? I'm inside 500 yards, but gradually improving. So just as, a, as an example, Tim, my hunting rifle is a 22-inch light Sendero Contour in a 7-SOM as well, and I shoot 180s out of it. Um, and I don't have my, my data here, but, uh, right with me, but off the top of my head, I'm throwing one eighties at like 29, 29, 60, out of that 22 inch barrel at no pressure signs. And the thing is literally a one hole gun. So that is no worries about that. Like you can go all the way up to one nineties. And if you're inside 500, especially if you've got an XM action, man, you could take that all the way up to the one ninety fives. You're going to have some serious thump coming from those things in terms of recoil, but you're going to be, you're, you're going to be totally fine. So then it says here, number uh, second part of the question, do you think I'd be okay cutting the chamber for the 168 and switching to the 145s? Absolutely. I think that you're going to be just fine with that. And I would say, I would suggest because you got that XM action, try to build, try to build in like 50 thou worth of free bore from the longest cartridge overall length, 50 to 60 thousandths that you could expect like mag length. And then when you, if you want to, um, if you want to seat the bullets back for more jump, you're not going to be eating up a whole ton of case volume and you're still going to be able to get the jump testing that you're looking for. And chances are you're going to be able to find something inside that, that range of freeboard that's going to work for you. Just as a rule of, just a little quick thought though, those, those Barnes bullets, the solids, they can be really, really tough to shoot. So before you, um, before you get yourself convinced that they don't shoot really well, just understand that those bullets can be finicky to get them to shoot well um, out of a lot of different barrels. I mean, I shot, I shot Barnes bullets for a long time out of my 300 wind mag. Um, and like, I was totally okay with like three quarter minute out of that just because I didn't want to, I didn't want to burn up a whole bunch of throat life trying to figure out the best load for those things. And three quarter minute for hunting gun is, is plenty good. So hopefully that helps, man. Thanks for the question. So this question, uh, comes from, I posted up a video of me shooting a 20 nozzer, one of our 20 nozzers out to 1050. Um, I'm a huge fan of that caliber. And, uh, I, I think I'm getting to a point where I can, I can speak comfortably about hunting cartridges. I'd, I'd say, you know, if you asked me, uh, when I first got the gunworks, I mean, um, anything, um, the 308 was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, no, I, I think, so the question is, um, hey, a while back, you made a comment about 20 nozzle as far as a long range hunting cartridge. I currently shoot a six, five PRC. I'm going to build or buy a new hunting rifle and stick between a, the 28 nozzle or a 300 PRC. Any advice would be greatly appreciated from a shooter like yourself. Thanks again. Uh, this comes from Adam, uh, Lanez, Yanez, L-L-A-N-E. I'm sure if I butchered last, your last name, bro. Um, so the very first thing, I mean, again, 28 nozzle or 300 PRC, the, the, the question I ha I'd have to ask you is, okay, what's your application or what kind of, what kind of game you're going to be playing on shooting with it. Right. I mean, if it's just anything to cover like the North American West game, uh, you know, elk, deer, um, any kind of sheep 
the $28 just fine. Really. You know, I mean, even a six, five Creedmoor will take those things down with perfect shot placement. Right. Um, what I, what I usually tell people is like when the higher you go up in caliber, what you're doing is you're buying yourself more room for error for terrible shot placement, but you have to keep in mind the bigger, the caliber, the harder it is to, 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 to control. Um, and it, and it's not fun to shoot a 30 cal. If you, if you don't have good fundamentals to handle the recoil of a 30 cal and a light frame rifle, um, and it's just not fun to shoot, you know? Uh, so the best way we get better at long range shooting is by shooting more. Well, how can we shoot more? We shoot, I shoot a lot of lighter weight cartridges. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Um, and, and I'd say the 28 nozzler is like the perfect, uh, the recoil being able to manage recoil even in the prone out to you know a thousand twelve hundred even four hundred yards i can manage recoil pretty well in a, in a good prone position mm-hmm. with the 28 nozzle in a let's say a, like a 10 11 pound frame um because you know they're, they're pushing those 180 hybrids or the 180 elms at 3100 i mean they're just smacking screaming um, yeah um and i and i shot my deer with that 28 nozzle at like 74 yards <laughs> and and when i shot him at i shot him off i shot him from like a modified standing position um but you know after when i shot him i watched him drop you know at i mean at 74 yards like your field of view is super super small at that point so like yeah. you know if anything especially at, at that at that point you know for a lot of shooters they'd come way the fuck off target and they just look up above their scope i was able to watch my animal drop in the scope after shooting that. So, uh, it just goes to show that, you know, th- for me, the 28 nozzle, I can handle the recoil even in, uh, supported shooting positions. Yeah. Uh, we, we, uh, we proved that bringing PRCs to a, to a PRS match. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, dude, it's not that big of a deal. Just shoot the rifle the way it's supposed to be shot. Well, one thing I want to, uh, actually want to talk to you about, we should have a podcast is about your Africa experience. I think, Ooh, uh, yeah. I think that'd be a good one uh, and, and bring even Scott back here. Cause he just recently, you know, a lot of his stuff is still fresh, but you know, one thing that I always bring up in my classes is the conversation that we had about you bringing a six, five Creedmoor down there and taking a bunch of shit with it. Right. And, and the, what do they call the guys down there? Um, professional hunters. Pro, uh, yeah. The PHs, yep. right. The PHs at first were like skeptical of, the, of you using. Oh, they wouldn't, they didn't anymore. want to let us shoot it. Yeah. So, I mean, the only thing that, that saved us on that trip to, 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 to shoot those Creedmoors was I basically, I basically convinced him that we knew how to shoot first and foremost. And then we, (laughs) we corroborated that evidence with, uh, the groups that we were shooting on our zero confirmation. And we started smacking a couple of pieces, a couple of rocks out at like 500 to validate trajectory. And guy was like, Mm, all right okay let's see how this goes and i think we ended up killing like 10 10 critters that first day and after that we were sitting down at dinner and the guy was like yo how can i get one of those things because <laughs> he's lugging around like a 338 wind mag so um that would be a great podcast i'd love to because when you go to africa man you learn so much about hunting in such a short amount of time the experience that you gain uh the learning curve is super steep and you're going on multiple stocks a day. And so, um, you know, the average hunter is like, you can go to Africa and gain about 10, 12 years of hunting experience Crazy. In, in like five days, just out of the, uh, all the stocks you're doing. So, 
um, that's a great, that would be a great podcast to talk about, especially for you yeah. know hunting and terminal ballistics. Yeah. yeah. So, so to, to finish up answering his question, I would say the $28 over the 300 PRC, um, you know, the 300 PRC is obviously going to have a bigger bullet and reach out further, but unless you're a comfortable, sh- uh, not too many shooters are going out there and like, I'm going to try to, you know, shoot out a, an animal out to a mile. Right. Yeah, don't you know, do that guy. Don't, don't, don't be that guy. Right. Um, even with my ability, like I, I, I'm not going to shoot anything past six, 700 unless, you know, yeah, that's just, that's just me. Right. So the 20 dollars are good enough for, I would say the average long range hunters ranges, yeah. uh, especially again, for the ability to manage recoil, um, you know, responsibly to be able to have accountability for that round in the case you do miss to see where you went and, uh, you know, uh, deliver a follow-up shot. So. Yeah. Just because you're, just because you're up and up yourself in caliber, that does not mean that you have increased capabilities. Yep. Yep. So right on guys. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the modern day sniper podcast, man. This was a good one. And, um, I'm, I'm, I dug the, the, the direction that it went and hopefully this will benefit you guys as you sit at home in sequestration during this whole madness that's going on in the country right now. So um, yeah, guys, hopefully uh, you guys are keeping your butts clean with all the toilet paper you've been hoarding no and shit, uh, sons of bitches. <laughs> don't touch your face before you wash your hands and keep your face on the gun guys. Thanks. <laughs> right okay, guys, take care.